We're in the book of Daniel. Last week we talked about uh, the efforts uh, of another king and another kingdom to take captive the hearts and minds of our children and grandchildren. And not only so, our own hearts and minds have been kidnapped by culture. That's what we talked about last week. Daniel and his friends, through no fault of their own, had been taken captive to a foreign land, a new king intended for them to become his personal servants. He gave them new names, and uh, the Bible tells us that he began a systematic attempt to capture their minds and hearts, teaching them the literature, the language, and the culture of Babylon. This would ultimately include adopting the religion and customs of Babylon and bowing to the gods of that culture. You read the book of Daniel, that's what you see. Time after time, these young men that were taken captive were asked to bow to the gods of Babylon, to the gods of that culture. So I want to refresh your memory by taking you back to the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to read those verses and then we'll be, move forward. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. This is a historical event, by the way. I know sometimes when you read your Bible and you're a little uh, out of whack with ancient history, you think, uh, is this a story or is this something that really happened? This is something that really happened. It has a historical context. These are historical events. They did happen. It dates it by telling us who the kings were, what the year, it's like the, the second year of uh, the president's term. Now, this is the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, although they didn't have terms like we do, but it's dating it for us. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths, in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, I want, to, I want to ask you a question. You have some fine young people in this church and in this community, some of the finest. Who do you think the devil would want to capture more than the fine young people who have been down through the years and their families affiliated with First Baptist Church and churches like them. So when you look at this story in the Bible, you see that the king was rather intentional in who he chose. He didn't choose just anybody, but he chose the best and the brightest, the finest. He said, if I can get them, I can get everybody else. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now from among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now I know you think that that's exactly what we talked about last Sunday, but we're going to take a different turn with it because last week we talked about the efforts of culture to kidnap our young people today, uh, but we're going to take that in a different way. So you see how he, bought, he brought these young people to Babylon. Not only so, but I want you to look back at verse 2. At verse 2, you'll see that he took some vessels out of the house of God. And those vessels he took and put in the house of his God and in the treasury of his God. That's the picture that I want you to see. Now, I want to use this idea of these vessels taken from God's house and I want to apply this to the rest of this chapter in Daniel. What do you suppose is the most precious vessel in the house of God today? Is it this pulpit? Is this the most precious vessel? Because when we talk about things from the house of God there in the Old Testament, usually you're talking about furniture. You're talking about tables and goblets and vessels like that. Is it the Lord's Supper table? And by the way, would you take the Lord's Supper table and go dedicate it to the worship of some other God? Or would you take the pulpit here from your church and dedicate it to the worship and service of some other God? Certainly, we wouldn't do those things. But these are not the most precious vessels in the house of God today. The most precious vessels are sitting in the pews, not the pews themselves. The precious vessels of the house of God today sit with you, beside you, your children, your grandchildren, my children, my grandchildren, they are to be vessels for honor. Let me give you a passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. This is what God intends for each one of us to be. To separate ourselves from not only the culture, but from anything sinful, so that we will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful to the Master, and prepared for every good work. And with that in mind, I introduce you to the title of today's message, and it is Vessels for Honor, Refusing to Bow to the Gods of Culture. Where do vessels for honor belong? My life is to be a vessel for honor. Your life is to be a vessel for honor. My children and my grandchildren, vessels for honor. Where did... Where did these vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took from the house of God belong? These vessels that we read about in verse 2, well, they belonged in the house of God, but he took them to the house of his God. We have some missing vessels from God's house. You may not know it, but we have some people who, in this church, who have taken God's vessels and put them at the feet of another God. They've been used and taken and used in the service of another God. They, they've taken these vessels for honor and used them for the worship of another God. These young people that we mentioned in this passage, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were taken through no fault of their own. They were taken captive, and they were being asked to bow to the gods of another king and another culture. Their parents didn't do this to them. An enemy did this. An enemy took them against their will and against the will of their parents, and he was now asking them 
to bow to the gods of his culture. That's what the first part of the book of Daniel is about. But today we have parents. We have parents who are bowing down to the gods of culture and laying their children at the feet of those gods and committing their children to the worship and service of those gods. They've taken them out of God's house where they belong and they take them to worship and serve the gods of culture. More and more, we see the Lord's day set aside so that someone might worship and bow down to the gods of culture. What are the gods of culture? Well, the gods of culture are anything that you put first before God. Anything that you honor before you honor Him. Anything that you love before you love Him. Any activity that you exalt above worshiping Him. It's one thing when you place your life at the feet of the gods of culture in an act of worship. It's an entirely, it's an, an entirely different thing when you take your children... When you take your children, like they did in the Old Testament, one of the most sinful things that the people of the Old Testament ever did, one of the most detestable things that the people of the Old Testament did, was when they took their children and offered them to the god Molech. The god Molech was an idol. It would be heated, red hot, molten. And in an act of worship, the parents would take their child and lay them in that position, in the arms of that God. Today we have parents who are bowing to the gods of culture, placing their children in the arms of the gods of culture instead of at the feet of God himself, teaching them to worship and serve that God above the God of heaven, vessels for honor taken from God's house and placed in the house of another God. So the first part of the book of Daniel is about these young men, although kidnapped by another king in another culture, refusing, refusing to bow to the gods of that culture. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not bow to the gods of culture. Daniel saw himself as one of God's vessels. And so I want to show you the commitment that Daniel made uh, in the next few points and uh, try to show you the commitment that you need to make and the commitment that you need to make for your children and your grandchildren and as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, Daniel made a personal commitment to be a vessel for honor. Daniel made a personal commitment to be a vessel for honor. Now this message has some practical, practical implications. And I'm going to ask you uh, before the service is over to make uh, the commitment that Daniel made. I'm going to ask you to trust your God more than you trust the gods of culture. And I'm going to suggest to you that right now many trust the gods of culture more than you trust the gods of heaven. Let me be specific. Suppose your child is on a ball team playing travel ball and you miss church to go play ball on Sunday. You do it less because you want to be with your child. You do it because you, like all of us, want our child to excel at whatever they do. But, but in doing so, you bow to the gods of culture and you trust the gods of culture 
more than you trust and worship the God of heaven and you teach your child to do the same. What do I mean? Well, the gods of culture tell you that for your child to be superior at his or her game, that child must be present at their activity. Your child's presence there and your presence there will ensure that your child has a future in sports, or it might be uh, you want your child to be able to go to college and get a scholarship, or it might be you want them to become a professional athlete and be well off financially, and the gods of culture promise you and your child all of these things if you'll trust them and you'll worship them. The practical application of this is this. Are you trusting God to bless your life and your child and your family? Or are you trusting the gods of culture? Daniel made a personal commitment to be a vessel for honor. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the king's drink. Second, Daniel asked to be given the test of faithfulness. Now the verses aren't on the screen, but I'd like you to look in your Bible and I'm going to begin reading in verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 14. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating of the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he list, listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. There it is. The test of faithfulness. Daniel said, let me be faithful to my God. See if after being faithful to my God, I am not as strong as and as smart, and as healthy, and as successful as those that bow to the gods of culture. Daniel was choosing to honor God, but Daniel was also choosing to trust God. He was a vessel for honor, and he refused to bow to the gods of culture. Now, this is not about food. A lot of people take this and they talk about food. This has nothing to do with food. It's about God. It was not the food that made Daniel successful. It was God. Have you ever thought about trying the test of faithfulness? What might it cost you and your family to take it? To choose to honor God rather than to trust the gods of culture. Now, there are a thousand different ways. We just talked about one of them, but there are a thousand different ways you might be asked to bow to the gods of culture. For Daniel and his friends, there were going to be serious ramifications if they chose to keep their commitment to be vessels for honor. But they knew who they were and whose they were, and Daniel made a commitment to be a vessel for honor. He asked to be given the test of faithfulness, trusting God to give him success 
not the gods of culture. That's the test of faithfulness. Second, consider the influence of faithfulness. What would the influence of faithfulness be in your life? Suppose the parent whose child is a promising athlete is asked to get involved with travel ball and take the family out of church on Sunday so that the child has a chance for success. The parent, I'm going to say usually it's the dad, prays. And I'm not saying moms don't pray, I'm just usually saying dads have to pray about whether they play ball or not because we like it. He prays and decides it's better to honor God. So he talks with his child and explains his commitment based on who they are and to whom they belong. They choose to be vessels for honor. And he says, vessels for honor belong at God's house and not at the feet of the gods of culture. And so some other dads quiz him about his decision. Some pressure him. Some despise him because if he does this, his son's good at ball and it's going to hurt the team's chances. Others, one or two, based on his influence, go home and pray about it. They talk with their kids, and they also make a decision to be vessels for honor. That appears to be what happened here in the book of Daniel. You may not can see it. So apparently there are a lot of other kids other than Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah who are taken captive. But these four are the ones who make a decision here. These four are the ones, and apparently Daniel is the one who asks for the test of faithfulness. And because of his influence, these other three young men join Daniel in the challenge to be a vessel for honor. By the way, the influence works both ways. If you bow to the gods of culture, somebody else will probably join you. And there will be more missing vessels in the house of God. Next, consider, we talked about the test of faithfulness, the influence of faithfulness. Consider the rewards of faithfulness. So, we mentioned the fact that Daniel asked to be given this test. It was an expression of his trust in God. If he was faithful to God, he said, I will be as good, as smart, as successful as any of those other guys who bow to the gods of culture. The test was given. And so I want you to listen as I pick up in verse 14 and read through the end of the chapter, Daniel chapter 1, verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of vision and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presenting them before Nebuchadnezzar, the king talked with them, and out of them, out of all of them, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as they entered, so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten 
times better than them all. What are the practical implications of faithfulness today? Is there anybody, any business that will say, I will not bow to the gods of culture? Let me give you one. The owners of the Dwarf House Grill. Doesn't sound like a very good place to eat, does it? Dwarf House Grill. Practiced a lifestyle of faithfulness to God. But they were living in a changing world. The culture seemed to require that families and businesses sacrifice at least some part of their values to be successful. But the little Dwarf House Grill and their, their owners chose rather to keep their commitment to God. They chose to be vessels for honor, modeling their commitment to their family and their community. And so they took the test of faithfulness. They opened their restaurant under a, a different name in 1967. Trudy, the owner's daughter, talks about her dad's commitment in her book, Climb Every Mountain, Finding God in the Journey of Life. She said, my dad built this business based on biblical principles. He felt like his business decisions kind of go hand in hand with biblical principles. That's no secret. There are a lot of things that we're taught in God's Word and we've been able to put those into practice in our business. We know today that we're in business to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's been trusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who contact, come in contact with our business. How did taking the test of faithfulness work out for Trudy's dad and his business? What's the reward of, of, of faithfulness? Well, Trudy's dad's business is the largest buyer of sun-kissed lemons in the world. That's right. The largest buyer of sun-kissed lemons in the world. Is that a big deal? Well, apparently so. They made a decision they'd not bow to the gods of culture. They never open on Sunday. Did it hurt the business? I'll let you decide. If the largest buyer of sun-kissed lemons in the world came to Loosedale and opened a business, would you shop there? Trudy's dad's name was Truett, Truett Cathy. The little dwarf house grill changed its name in 1967 to Chick-fil-A. 2018 poised to become, it was poised to become the third largest fast food chain in America. It is one of the most hated businesses in this country, and you know it. And you know why? Because they will not bow to the gods of culture. But it's also one of the most successful. Finally, consider where God places vessels for honor. Chapter 2, verse 48, we skip over some in the book of Daniel. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king and he appointed and now it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we know it's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was in the king's court. I want to ask you a question. Can God make you or your kids? 
just as good and as successful or may be more successful than those who bow to the gods of culture. Sure he can. Sure he can. Does he always? No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will later get put in a fiery furnace. You, you, you remember that story. Doug told us about it last week. The king was about to throw them in, and he said, you know, all you've got to do is, is recant and bow to this, this God I've got here. If you bow to this God and worship it, you won't have to go in there. He said, look, our God can take care of us. He can take care of us. He can deliver us from this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We have some decisions to make as the people of the Lord. Are we going to be vessels for honor? Are the most precious things that belong to God, are we going to allow them to be placed at the feet of the gods of culture? Are we going to put them where they belong? Let's pray.